Welcome back to our second episode of the Max Term Podcast. I'm Kyle Stitch again alongside James Finch. Today we're going to talk about some of the top unrestricted free agent forwards, give a little uh, insight into how, how we came up with their market value and kind of our thoughts on where we think they're going to slot in and maybe, maybe even some team fits for some of them and how the marketplace might shape out for them. Uh, just like in our uh, first episode, these keep in mind these are our opinions of the players. Uh, we do have some level of connections in, this, in the industry, but we're not necessarily review, uh, reflecting any of those opinions. As well as any ads that might appear with our podcast are not necessarily products that we endorse or companies that we um, stand by. So we have, this is an interesting free agent class. Very interesting. Most years, I think either of us would be comfortable saying, oh yeah, that free agent, he's going to get the top of the market. I, I think everyone's looking for, where's this year's Goudreau? And there isn't one. There's arguably not even a top star player on the UFA market right now. I, th- I think if... if we wanted to put some money, place a bet on the on who's going to sign the biggest contract. Most years, probably grab, put a little money on a couple players, and I'm sure one of those three would like hit. This year, I think I'd feel comfortable saying that we could make a case for and against five to ten players as being that top guy on the unrestricted free agent market. And what's also really interesting this year is I'm not sure anyone's going to break the bank. I think a lot goes into it. One is just, uh, again, the level of player. There isn't necessarily that top, top star. And then two, we're still dealing with the cap not increasing too much. And those things together, it's it's going to be tough for players most likely. Yeah, we might see we might see some one-year contracts this year that for names you might not necessarily be expecting to do so. Just because next year the cap is going to be re- going to rise. Uh, we're, we're projecting, well, Cat Friendly, great resource, is projecting around $4 million. That's the number we've kind of been going with. Um, if you want a little bit more insight into kind of the cap and how we get to our projections, please be sure to check out our first episode of our podcast, which we give some insight into that. So the, the interesting name right at the top of the list is someone who right now isn't even going to play the whole year. Yeah, Patrick Kane. Someone who, a couple of years ago, everyone's wondering if he'd re-sign for his $10 million again, and it's not looking like that's going to happen. His his play is, I don't want to say fallen off, but he's certainly not as much of an all-around player as he used to be, and I believe he just had a pretty serious hip surgery. Um, going to miss a little bit of time in the upcoming season. So as our top player, like we said, no one's really breaking the bank. We've got him for three years at about $5.75 million, which for cap hit percentage purposes, 6.9%. Uh, Patrick Kane, I don't know how I feel about this one. Yeah, I don't know how many times we exchanged like, messages or, any, or checked in about where this projection was, and I'm pretty sure every single message I sent to you no, it's too high. It's too high. It's too high. But it's tough finding a balance. What are we trying to accomplish? Well, are we trying to project exactly what we think the player is going to sign for? 
or kind of what teams are perceiving him in the general marketplace based on name, based on other players that have signed recently. And it's really more of the latter. So we, we had to stick with kind of our process and go with this uh, projection. Yeah, and th- there's, there's a lot of different factors, especially with someone like Patrick Kane. He's an absolute star. He's one of the more well-known names in hockey. That's going to get him some of his money just alone. And he's 35. Maybe he would go for a one year and try and uh, get healthy and cash in one more time. But maybe he wants a little more term because he's getting towards the end of his career and wants to make sure he has a contract. A team could also view Kane as like, a, let's sign him, stash him on long-term injured reserve for half to most of the year, and then maybe when the cap's higher, that, that contract, that three-year contract that we projected could look fine. He could come back from healthy from this hip surgery. Team is able to add more pieces around him. And then, that, and then a $5.8 million cap hit for Patrick Kane next year would be a lot more palatable. It would almost be... If we're projecting the cap to go up $4 million, that's covering most of that cap hit. So teams might just look at this as an opportunity. Hey, let's get him in the building. Let's stash him on long-term injured reserve for as long as we can this season and then deal with it down the road when we actually have more space to operate. Absolutely. And, uh, again, this is, I would say, a very polarizing player and contract because of all these different factors. Um, another player that I think is, isn't similar injury-wise, this player is not hurt, but he's kind of in a same situation where he might be looking for a specific type of deal. It's uh, UFA forward two for us. It's Ryan O'Reilly. He won his cup in St. Louis, tried for it again this past year in Toronto, and obviously it didn't work for him. Um, We've got him three years at just a tick under 5.5 AV, so a 6.57 cap hit percentage. Ryan O'Reilly's still a very serviceable player, could probably cash in on a pretty big deal, but would he go somewhere where maybe he takes a little less and tries for a second cup? Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he pulled a Mark, Mark Giordano and just signed a cheap deal right back in Toronto uh, with his hometown team, pursues another cup, has a great role on that team, and uh, maybe looks to cash in a little bit more down the road. So so we have Ryan O'Reilly, three years, almost $5.5 million. So who are some of the players that we got driving uh, his, his projection here? Okay, so for Ryan O'Reilly... We have comps like Tyler Bozak, so this would be a similar age at age 32, and this would be when Bozak left Toronto and actually signed with St. Louis, which it's fairly, I'd call it heavily rumored that O'Reilly could go back to St. Louis. I don't know if that's what I would do if I was him. I'd chase a cup somewhere else, but um, a Bozak deal, or a similar deal to Bozak, he had three years at a 6.06 cap hit percentage. Um, that'd kind of be a low end for our projection. Um, and then the high end that I like is uh, Miko Koivu with Minnesota. Um, this is a 
was a two-year deal at 6.67 cap hit percentage. Um, and just to, to make sure we're clear, we, we had O'Reilly at 6.57%, so he'd fall right in the middle of those two. Both centers who, at that point in their careers, were kind of that middle six could play that shutdown center role. So O'Reilly's interesting because, yeah, he could chase that cup. But he's also interesting because we're looking at the when you're looking at the overall market and you're a team looking for a specific position, you have to see kind of what supplies in the market. Uh, as much as our projections are our projections are based on what their market value is, but there's factors, supply and demand, very basic economics that are going to potentially influence what goes on here. Ryan O'Reilly's, I think, unquestionably the best center available. I think. I would tend to agree with you. I, I think looking at a list here of centers from a team building standpoint, you could maybe argue the better player to go after would be JT Comper just because he's younger. But if you're a top team right now, you, you need that middle six center and you don't really care what's happening a few years down the road. You just want the best player available. I, I, I think I'm with you. It's it's Ryan O'Reilly if you need a center. Yeah, we're, we're talking Ryan O'Reilly, JT Comfer, Max Domi, if you view him as, as a quality center to play a middle six role for you, and then Evan Rodriguez is probably the next best name out there. And he's he's been as a fit he's been almost more of a winger, but has some center ability as well. So if you're looking for for a center, may, maybe you can go down into a Jordan Stahl, who we have project, projected a little bit lower. But it doesn't seem likely that he's going to leave Carolina. So I don't know where you're looking in the free agent market. So you're either you might have to try and pay up for an O'Reilly, a Comfer, a Domi, Rodriguez, even. Or you're going to be going into the trade market. Absolutely. Um, I, I think w one last name to throw into that, I guess a middle six group, third line center group, there's Eric Howla. Again, if you view him um, definitely as a center. Um, and beyond that, you, you start to fall to more definite bottom six centers, which are still very useful players in the right role, but they're not necessarily going to be able to take over that, say, second-line center spot. Yeah, or you're trying to pitch a Jordan Stahl to leave his comfortable situation or convince Patrice Bergeron that he's healthy enough and not to not retire and leave Boston. So, yeah, I, I think you're pretty limited with your choices there. Absolutely, and... Um, I, I wish I could say it was a lot better looking at wingers. Um, it's a little bit better, I think, uh, but we're, we're still missing that huge top star name. But I, I think the quality towards the top of our projections, there's a little more there. Yeah, I think I think you have maybe guys that aren't going to slot in and be lock, first-line lock players for like a cup-contending team but if you're looking to build a balanced lineup you have guys that can slot in at the top but Jason Zucker can easily play on your first line and if he's not on your first line he's going to be a great play driver on your second or third line depending on kind of how you want to structure your lineup Michael Bunting who, who we've gotten plenty of messages already about like how, how are we projecting him so high 
We'll get to that in a little while. But uh, Michael Bunting has shown that he can play with top players, but he's also shown that he's not necessarily dragging down those top guys, and he can perform as well away from them. I, I think that's a big thing to look at. Is So Toronto specifically, I think a lot of people, especially outside of Toronto, oh, well, Michael Bunting, he's really just there alongside the Matthews, the Marner, Tavares, Nylander. Bunting's a great player himself. He is a very good supportive player on those top lines, and he should slide right into top lines on other teams. Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of things that were uh, said about the recent Con Smythe winner, uh, Jonathan Marsha show there, who's basically the player that's driving our projection there. A lot of play, a lot of teams thought that Marsha show wasn't a top-line player. He was a complementary piece. And since he got to Vegas... Uh, He's been a he's been a top six player, probably top line player, easy. Yeah, I'd say just from the standpoint of looking at each player's situation, bunting it wasn't expansion, but Toronto basically got him for free. Arizona, I, I don't want to say they let him go. He 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 wasn't playing necessarily at that level in Arizona, but there were signs of it in his game, and he found it in Toronto. Um, Similarly to Marcheseau, it took a little bit to really show up on the score sheet, but there were signs there, and he found it with a new team. Jason Zucker, Michael Bunting are probably your more skill, middle top to middle six guys, probably second line on a, on a really strong team. Jason Zucker, when, he was, when he's been healthy over the past five, six years, has been unreal. He's been a great play driver. The goal's have been streaky at times, but if you look at a little bit more of his underlying numbers, he's the one a lot of times who drives the kind of possession and everything on his line. Problem is, is he's had some injuries. Some have been kind of freak injuries that aren't nece- that you would feel okay, maybe not necessarily cropping up again. But as you start to age and injuries have been a factor, there's always a concern there. So. Zucker will be a real interesting player to kind of monitor as uh, as free agency opens. I guess the way I would put it with some of these top wingers, uh, Zucker, Bunting, let's throw Alex Kalorn in here as well. Um, if you're looking for something specific, whether it's I, I need someone who can score, I need someone who is a little more responsible defensively, these guys are all-around players. They are going to check those boxes for you. And, uh, again, like the majority of this entire free agent class, none of them are really going to break the bank too much. These few wingers that we've mentioned, we've got them all in the four- to five-year range and all kind of in the five to five-and-a-half million. Um, A notable contract when you're trying to build a team, but it's – nothing teams can't fit. And when we're talking about the salary cap going up more significantly in future years, it might feel a little tight right now, squeezing a contract like that in on some teams. But as soon as two years from now, it's, it's going to be, it's going to work well. Yeah. I I think, I think the way I kind of am looking at the, winger class in particular, even even coming back to Patrick Kane, is most of the top names out there, 
you can make a sh- you can talk yourself into if you want to. You can talk yourself out of if you want to. Patrick Kane injuries, Jason Zucker injuries, Michael Bunting, small sample size played with elite players, so he hasn't driven his own line. Tyra Bertuzzi injuries, Vladimir Harrisenko age is starting to creep up. Alex Kalorn's thirty four. Uh, Ivan Barbashev is not the high ceiling player, but a solid player. As much as you can make a case against, you can make it for as well. Absolutely. I, I think the big thing here with the, the wingers is just that um, none of these deals are really going to scare us away. They all can perform and basically check any box you need them to check. Um, as we work our way down this list, um, starting to get to players who they're not going to be expected to play even on the second line, really. But for teams that need a really solid, we'll say bottom six, so third or fourth line guy, is there anyone that really jumps out to you here? I mean, we just saw the Vegas Golden Knights win the Stanley Cup by being able to roll out four lines where none of them were deficient players. And there are some names that I personally love here. Uh, Garnett Hathaway, Zemgis Gergensens, Dan Heinen's a nice a nice bottom six player. Jasper Foss is a nice player as well. Uh, going down a little bit, but not far away, Matthias Janmark's shown that he can play kind of those bottom six minutes effectively. David Camp, free agent from Toronto, and another Toronto free agent, Nolachari, all put up fantastic numbers for like a third, fourth line role player. They're which what I'm looking for out of my bottom line, bottom two lines, is a line that I can put out in any situation. They're not going to necessarily harm me. They're going to at least keep the score even, maybe add a few goals, maybe tire the other team out a little bit, maybe match up against the top players, so that way my other lines don't have to. I, I think th- this is where I really like to find those guys who you're comfortable with when you're stuck in the defensive zone. Whether that is you're purposely putting them out there against the other team's top players, or if they happen to be out there, you're not as worried. And I, I think Hathaway is a great name for that. Um, Zemgis Gergensens is one I, I would really throw out there as, as far as a defensive forward goes. Uh, he's going to provide great value there on the I would say fourth line most likely, but in in the bottom six. Um, then Gergensen's even has a level of ability to play some center for you too. He's probably more of a winger historically he has been, but he's also played enough minutes at center where if if you get in a pinch, he can provide a level of lineup flexibility, which is incredibly valuable as well. Yeah, having having these bottom six guys. Um, Having them as versatile players, I think, is huge for any team, especially the cup contenders, because just going through the playoffs, as you get those injuries, they fight through some crazy injuries, but having a versatile guy in the bottom six that could jump over to center or move up a line on the wing, um, it's extremely valuable. Let me throw another another name out here and get your reaction on this. Miles Wood. He's when he was younger in New Jersey's absolute speed, absolute menace in the in kind of a, on the four check and everything like that. But kind of slowed down a little bit the past couple of years. But still could be a player that might be that might provide some interesting uh, bottom six depth. 
So I think Miles Wood is someone who, I, I think people look at him and see those traits you mentioned and say, okay, there could be a little more here with Miles Wood. Maybe he hasn't quite reached that full potential yet. He is going to be going into what we would say is his age 28 season. Um, personally, when I see Miles Wood, and I, I don't know if this is even the best comparison, but I, I think of a player like Brandon Tanev. I don't want to put him in a group and say that he's a physical player because I think he is a little more than that. But he's just all around aggressive in how he plays. I think Miles Wood is one of those guys where if, if you're a non-playoff team and you kind of look at how the intensity gets upped a little bit in the playoffs and you're looking to get there, Miles Wood is probably a perfect fit for that. Yeah, I think I think he's an interesting, so he's younger than some of the names I had already thrown out, which is but I don't think he's quite the same level of play, player for like a bottom six role as as some of those guys either. So if you're if you're already thinking you're a contending team, you want to bring back the player that's going to have the most immediate impact for you. Miles Wood, on the other hand, is probably a little less immediate impact, but maybe there's still maybe you have a little bit more runway to work with. I I would say that Miles Wood, it feels like the best fit for him would be on one of those teams that is a little outside of the playoffs, is close, but they just need kind of that role player in the bottom six. I I think he could really grow into that role. I don't know if he's necessarily the missing piece for a contender. So yeah, he'll be interesting. He we also have him projected a little bit higher AAV than a lot of those other guys. So teams are going to need a little, potentially need a little bit more cap space. Maybe he's where the squeeze kind of uh, kind of hits as well for for the free agents. Another kind of interesting bounce back name potentially Jonathan Druin, Montreal. That's a really tough one. Um, I think. Druin has the skill. It's there. It's just tapping into it, getting him into the right situation. Um, Druin's one, we have him on a one-year deal just under $2 million. I think that would just make perfect sense for him. He's, he's only going to be going into his 28th season. Find somewhere where you're comfortable going into the year. Try and reset your value and hit the market again. That might mean going somewhere that's not necessarily a contender, but somewhere where you might be a little more likely to see the top six minutes. I don't know if uh, if he would want to step into the uh, pressure cooker that is Toronto, but he would look awfully nice next to uh, Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, assuming they don't blow it up on that first line there, too. From a salary cap and team building aspect, too, it, that's kind of the players Toronto needs to look for is the guys that aren't going to break the bank, but who could maybe be a sneaky good addition. Or maybe back to where his career started in Tampa as well. It's another team that's going to be strapped for cap space and maybe looking to fill some middle six roles, especially depending on what happens with Alex Kalorn there. That's definitely possible. And uh, to kind of add to the sneaky addition in a different way than Druin, but it's it's someone we have projected on a fairly low deal. What do you think about Max Pacioretty? 
two Achilles injuries in a year is a major red flag. But if you can bring a veteran player in who is pretty much a perennial 30-year-old score in this league, you can bring him in for a one, two-year deal, one to two, maybe a little bit more million dollars per year. Again, a team like Toronto, maybe he ends up back in Vegas, Tampa Bay, all these all these contending teams absolutely should be trying to roll the dice, give him a chance to win a cup as well. So I per, I the injuries scare me. The injuries scare me. Achilles injuries are nothing to uh to mess with, but maybe not rushing back, taking as much time as he needs, maybe targeting next year's playoffs to come back, which would be a year plus more of recovery. Maybe that is going to be the recipe for success. Yeah, I think he definitely fits that um, the LTIR uh, situation. Maybe a, a team who's right up against the cap is able to add him and just stash him there and Maybe he's back for the playoffs. Maybe he's not, and it ends up kind of being a addition that wasn't an addition. But the the talent that he has, someone's got to be willing to give him a shot. So there's clearly kind of a kind of flavor for everyone. Uh, so looking at some of those top guys, just just a kind of one to one comparison. Would you Would you think Would you rather go? Tyra Bertuzzi, where you might have to spend up a little bit more with a level of injury history, injury risk, and or maybe the slightly lower ceiling but higher floor player who also just had a great playoff run, Ivan Barbashev. Yeah, so that's that's an extremely tough debate for me. I'm always a little weary of the players who look great in the playoffs and that's not to say Barbashev wasn't good in the regular season he was he was a very solid player but playoffs intensity raised he was on um, a line I believe with Eichel and Marchessault pretty good line mates I don't know if he's gonna get that everywhere and I don't know if he'll even for sure get I guess what we would call a top line or at least a second line level of play. So I, I lean towards saying Tyler Bertuzzi. I, I just, I think the potential for a little bit more offensively is there with Bertuzzi. And at worst, I, I think you're getting a very similar player and yeah, we're, we're talking about a million dollars different. Um, but I, I've got to go with Bertuzzi. I mean, that million dollars is, well, a million dollars twice is uh, Garnett Hathaway, who's a great fourth-line player. So so being able to save a million here, a million there, to and maybe taking a little bit lower ceiling is is not the worst idea either. That's very true, and I, I, I would almost say this could get situation-specific, just to throw out there as an example, I guess. If you're Boston... You have Bertuzzi, you have Hathaway. Maybe you sign Bertuzzi, but that means Hathaway's gone. Maybe you could sign Hathaway, let Bertuzzi walk, and get in on the Barbashev. Would you rather have a Barbashev and a Hathaway, or just a Bertuzzi? 
it starts to get interesting when you when you talk about specific situations like that. Yeah, I I, I lean towards the two the two players in that situation. Uh, give me give me an Ivan Barushev or even a Pierre Engel, uh, who was with Toronto and then finished the season with the Islanders. Give me one of those two guys plus like a Hathaway or a Nola Chari type player, Zemgis Gergensen's to kind of build out my lineup a little bit more. If I can get those two players for the price of one player who, yeah, his he's got he's got a seal he's got a high ceiling, but there's also been some injury concerns. I know a lot of them were kind of freak injuries and hopefully aren't going to crop up again. But those are things that I would I would just rather have the depth, especially for a team like Boston that does have some of those top line players already established. Fill out, fill out two lines instead of filling instead of bolstering that second or first line that you already have strength at. Yeah, I think, and again, I, I will probably differ situation to situation. In a vacuum, if you if you said Bertuzzi or Barbashev, my initial reaction is to say Bertuzzi. But yeah, I I will acknowledge for sure. Once you start looking at how you are building a team. Like you said, that, that that million dollars could be pretty important, especially if you're also in need of a bottom-line center. I, I, I think I'm with you there. Yeah, uh, Bertuzzi, very interesting player. I I think our I think our mentions uh, at AFP Analytics got blown up on, what, I, th- I, th- I think two, maybe three players. Michael Bunting and Tyra Bertuzzi were probably the top two that were mentioned a lot of Red Wing fans thinking, oh, uh, if if that's all he was going to sign for, he would have signed back in Detroit. But I I feel pretty comfortable with where our projections at. Blake Coleman and Zach Hyman recently have signed contracts. Our projections basically rate the midpoint between those two. He's a little bit better than Blake Coleman. I don't think he's as good as Zach Hyman. I'd take Hyman in a heartbeat. So I'm pretty comfortable with where we had Bertuzzi. Maybe some team gets a little desperate, but. I think that he didn't want to re-sign Detroit because they've been spinning their winged wheels a little bit. <laughs> a little bit, and I, I don't want to turn this into a podcast that bashes the Detroit Red Wings, but uh, Tyler Bertuzzi was arguably their best winger. I, I actually I don't even want to say arguably. I'm just going to say he was their best winger. And... Uh, well, maybe this year uh, David Perron was pretty good, but I, I think the perception of what Bertuzzi was in Detroit, in the eyes of Detroit fans, he was one of their top line forwards. And while I think he can sometimes step into that role, I don't think that is what Tyler Bertuzzi actually is. Yeah, he's most likely probably that perfect second line player who can bring some uh, special teams play as well. And those players are five to $6 million players. They're not, they're not much more than that. And that's right where we kind of have Bertuzzi. So that's kind of a look through some of the unrestricted free agent forwards in future episodes. We'll dive in maybe a little bit more on some of those guys specifically, as well as look at uh, other situations, defensemen, restricted guys, Give a little bit more insight into those as well. But we'd like to thank you for listening to our Max Term podcast. Uh, please follow us, follow the podcast on Twitter at Max Term Pod. 
Follow at AFP Analytics on Twitter, where we continue to tweet out our, uh, as contracts are signed, tweet out some thoughts and everything about those. Um, and if you have any questions, we're also always welcome, welcome those. Feel free to reach out to either of us on Twitter, and uh, we'll talk to you next time.